anytime you lose a game or two, like we have people start questioning everything, I don't question my coaches. They know what they're doing. If there's issues, we're going to address them. I'm going to talk to them about it. We're going to get it fixed. These are the right guys to do it. We need to be better. I need to be better. And the team needs to be better. And we're all in this together. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Happy Halloween, everyone. I've decided to go as an Indiana trainer running onto the field. (laughs) Uh, Well, you were busy last Saturday, that's for certain. That's right. Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Join us as we uh, enter the season of reassessment, and we decide what things we can look forward to and what things we can kiss goodbye and and how we're all going to make it through. Mac, I think you took this loss exceptionally hard. Uh, Boomer. Well, I'd just like to say we've tossed our hoodies and we're looking to be more than just an okay podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing the shirtless, actually, right now. Uh, Outside, bitter, cold disappointment, just like a loss to Indiana. Uh, Honky, uh, we lost 38-31 to against a team that we probably felt like we never should have lost and you know, Scott Frost probably felt we should have never lost either. Apparently, uh, Indian Athletic Director Fred Glass takes offense to anything. So how do you uh, assess Saturday's performance in a nutshell? I'm very ready to just move past Indiana. <laughs> you know, I, defensively, I don't know what to say. I mean, that, that offensive performance minus a couple of turnovers, obviously, but the offensive performance is enough to, to win 9.9 times out of 10 against Indiana. Yeah. But that defense, we couldn't get off the field, third down, fourth down defense. We just gave them too many chances. And, and, uh, I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Coach Shenander brought that up this week and we've got to get better there. But, uh, I'm starting to see some things from some young guys on both sides of the ball that do give me some hope moving forward, and maybe we'll see a few more of those guys here these last four games. Mac, uh, I mentioned your frustration. I, I can just see it in your your face <laughs> and the tone of your voice. Right. Um, it was a tough one, especially when uh, we don't want to think small as a program. Um, but um, it was an embarrassment, to Honky's point in our last show. Not We were not humbled by Indiana. We were embarrassed, right? Absolutely. It's a game we, sh- we produced enough on offense to really kind of put it away. I mean, yes, we gave up a couple turnovers, and they were costly. And, but that's just sort of the theme of this team. It's like we are bound to perfect football or a loss. I mean, and that's just like every week it's like, well, you know, we're close on this, this, and this. You know, the execution's just so – just this little bit off, or you, you fix the turnover margin, you fix the penalties. It's like I'm so tired of hearing – of how close we are, or if we just could, you know, the attention to fine details. It's time to go out and win games. You Indiana know, went out and won this game. Don't talk to me about their perfect play. They weren't playing perfect. They just won a game. Yeah, you know, I remember at halftime of the Minnesota game, we were down 14 nothing. I remember making the comment to my brother-in-law, John, about we're only down 14 nothing, and just by dumb luck, if we score a touchdown, it's 14-7. There is no dumb luck with this team. No. There is no dumb luck. It is perfect or bust, it feels yes. like. Yes. There's no in-between. And so right now, it feels like we have to play perfect to beat teams that normally you shouldn't have to play perfect to beat. You watch this team in every big play, every single big play. I wait. It takes me about five seconds to go, okay, no flag. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't see any problem over here. Did we get hurt? Did we actually catch that? It's like I, I'm. it's impossible to celebrate because I've seen them come back so often. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, oh, that was actually a good I, play. I, On the replay, I get a clap. I, it's This This is the feeling I, you get watching this team. I'm exhausted by the time the ball actually gets snapped to the quarterback because I'm so worried about so many pre-snap things. Did we jump? Are we lined up? Dave, you've known this for years. I watch. Yeah. I watch the line of scrimmage, making sure that we have seven guys on the line every play. I mean, this illegal formations drive me crazy. And uh, and then just the snaps, which, by the way, have gotten better. But the snaps, I mean, there's two or three or four big things that I'm watching every single play before the ball even touches the quarterback's yep. hands. And by the time they do, I swear, I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Boomer, uh, you were there watching the game in person. And, and hockey's on to something here a little bit in the sense of, like, right now, being a Nebraska fan – is it's stressful at times. It is not always enjoyable. Even when things go right, we're always thinking that something didn't go right. And that's it's tough to go through your life as a fan when you're always feeling like uh, you know the wheels are going to fall off. 
Uh, how was it in the stadium? Uh, how was the the overall atmosphere and, and the sense of the the crowd as we kind of went back and forth there with the Hoosiers? You know, the the atmosphere. It started off great. The weather was lovely, and I think everyone was excited to see the the start that we had. Is the you know we finally had a fast start out of the gate, and we were up fourteen to three at one point, and that was kind of what we did i've grown accustomed to seeing with the scott frost teams in the past you know those early starts and getting on opponents and there was that brief period where i think everyone kind of hoped that hey maybe we've turned a corner we're finally going to put a team away that you know we think we should uh and then the mistakes happens and you know we let indiana back into it and that's one of the things i kind of mentioned you know to you guys during the game when we were texting back and forth is you know the prior week when i had sort of been you know stalking on the indiana message boards their fan base is very fatalistic they always expect every game that they're going to screw up and make mistakes and the wheels are going to come off. That's all their fans were talking about when they were playing Maryland the prior week and, you know, almost let the Terrapins back into that game and they ended up winning, but they were all convinced they were going to lose. So they were feeling that way a lot this week. And that's kind of the, the takeaway I had watching this game is both teams are kind of at the same level as terms of how they play their games. There's things they do well. I mean, we were moving the ball great. Uh, Indiana's offense was very capable of what they wanted to do, which was pass the ball. They didn't bother running the ball. They were as one-dimensional as a team could really be. And, you know, they were good at doing that. But we would make big mistakes with turnovers and dumb penalties. Well, guess what? So would Indiana. They kept making big mistakes, letting us back into the game, you know, letting us uh, getting a face mask on Wondell on when they stopped us on third and long. Um... The, they were driving before halftime to possibly, you know, have a back-breaking touchdown against us, and they turn it over to us, and they let us score. After they go up 14 in the fourth quarter, they we get the ball back, and they give us 30 yards of penalties on one play, and we score. It's just they keep letting us try to get back in the game. So it was just kind of that battle of watching two teams that weren't sure who really wanted to take that next step to win the game, put it away. And that's just what we're waiting to see, I think, from Nebraska is are they ever going to be able to take that step and just eliminate one or two of those mistakes and win that game? Or Yeah, to, to Frost's uh, point, uh, we did one more dumbass thing than Indiana did, essentially, and, and that ends up losing the game for us. And now, scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. Well, I think quarterback's one example of a, a position where there's no question we've improved, gotten more talent in here, increased our depth. All three of those kids are, are good players, and, and we're in a good spot to have all three of them. Um, I don't know if I've ever had three on a team that have the talent of the three we have right now. That spells good things for the future, and you know, right now they're all three nicked up, so we're going to have to do the best we can in the short term. All right, well, we just heard Scott Frost there talk about our depth at the quarterback position, and um, not only did Noah Vedral start, Adrian's still missing uh, uh, in action for at least one more week. We also got a heavy dose of Luke McCaffrey, uh, and then Noah comes back in, actually. Quarterbacks were definitely a bright spot. Um, Boomer, what was the actual stat? I think we're the most efficient passing uh we've ever had is that correct yeah at least in a long time we went to 20 of 23 for passing you know average about 12.8 yards i mean that was about as great a day as you can expect from two backup quarterbacks throwing for you mac you know we started off quite well a uh, great pace there by noah on uh, the first couple of drives uh what did you see uh, early on from this offense that you liked what i liked early on is when they were playing with tempo, it actually looked fast. It felt like we were executing at a pretty quick clip. Uh, Noah had them out there moving. They got up to the line quickly. You know, when uh, Canavai caught that one over the middle, they jumped right up and got on to the next play. It actually looked like tempo to me. And then Indiana pulled a groin or Indiana, whatever. <laughs> you know, somebody shot them with a BB gun from the fifth row. I, I don't know what happened, but they kept going down. But but the tempo game was clearly working, and it was something which so funny because Indiana seemed so prepared to stop our tempo with these bogus injuries. But we hadn't been good at tempo all year. Yeah, that's a really good point. They must have knew off the bye week that we'd be uh, ready to go on that. I mean, I want to be clear. I, I understand at least a few of those Indiana players did have serious injuries, um, but it does seem like several of the other ones were – Somewhat questionable to point that Honky's going as an Indiana athletic trainer for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, Honky, I, I rewatched the game. I'm sure you watched it a dozen times, even though it's a loss. Um, before the game, we talked about how Frost and company wanted to find a, a couple of running plays that they could hang their hats on. Uh, did you see that a little bit out there on Saturday? Not necessarily, and part of that is because we saw two different quarterbacks. And what's interesting to me is, 
when we have the different quarterbacks out there, it is almost like a different offense at times being played. I think you're absolutely right, Mac. With Vedro out there, you see a tempo, and you see more mm. of what I would almost call the UCF style of offense being played. That's how it feels, that he throws the ball on time. He's probably got a very comparable athleticism to McKenzie. Yeah, it just it, there's a just a feeling I get, it, I, I guess, as I'm watching it. When I see McCaffrey out there, I actually see a style of play that I, I envision the Nebraska style of the spread being, which is we ran more option. Uh, he is clearly more of a, a running threat out there. Uh, we did a lot more rollout passing with mm-hmm. McCaffrey. That's what I, I wanted to see all along. I wanted to see that at the beginning of the year with Martinez even. But the other thing I wanted to see in this game, and I didn't get to see it because uh, Mills only had eight carries, is that I wanted to see more of a power game with Mills. Mm. And what we ended up with was Wandell getting 22 carries. And I get it, you know, Mills missed a block on that one fumble that, that Vedral had. And yep. and I they definitely love Wandell. But I'll tell you what, man, we're just going to get that kid creamed if he keeps getting 22 carries and has to play, you know, receiver two on top of that. It just feels like that's a, a recipe for disaster over the long term. We've got to be able to find a way to manufacture runs from other guys. Yeah, I mean, Wandell did run between the tackles there. There was some plays, though, that were effective. Uh, offensive line performance, I mean, did you see a little better progress there with those guys just from mm-hmm. both a rush and, and pass blocking scenario? Well, I think always let's start with the snaps when we're talking offensive line. And this would be another game in a row. I, it definitely Minnesota was a good one. Uh, Jurgens, he's turning a corner there. And, and knock on wood, you know, that, you know, this isn't something that next week all of a sudden, you know, balls are going to be flying over dudes' heads. But I think that he's making that progress. There's a play that we highlighted during the game and, and had the video on Twitter. Farniak pulling again from the mm. right tackle all the way around and pancakes a guy. And, and I can't remember if it was for a touchdown, but it was for a pretty long run. And so, you know, we're seeing elements of, I think, the physicality that they want out of that position. Hymas has been playing outstanding at left tackle. I mean, he and I know he's grading out really well, you know, in some of those like pro football grade rankings. So I mean, we're seeing improvement across the line. If we're going to make any kind of move this season in these last four games, it's gonna, the offensive line is going to have – if they continue on this trajectory, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about the offense in general. Even if Adrian remains out, I still feel like the quarterback position could be kind of fun. You know, the running back, that's, it was weird with Mills. I don't know why he didn't get more time, and they don't talk about injuries, so we don't know. But uh, – th- that's a guy that when he's got the ball in his hands, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with it. And Wandell's shown nothing but a game breaker p- potential. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah. come out early in this game striking, which had been a hallmark of this team all of last season. The first few games of this year, it was always a like guaranteed we're going to score in our first drive. Yeah, and then we've gone on this you know stretch here of how many games in a row where that didn't happen. Well, here in this game, we came out in the first two possessions, boom, boom. We're scoring, and we were explosive. I just liked how we were ripping it. I just, yeah. I just want to see us rip it at this point. Yeah, we but, don't have to be cautious about anything. Let it go and see how this but looks. Black Flash 41 reverse pass or whatever they did, uh, the, the throw to Vedral, which was a heck of a catch by That Vedrill was a there. fantastic catch. You know, Hunk, that's a good point there. We had 500 yards of offense, and I think I saw somewhere that under Frost, we've had 500 yards of offense or more nine times when we're five and four but then the, the stats go back, even under the, the Callahan, Pelini, Riley regimes, where if you go 500 yards, you typically win. And of course, <laughs> we've lost four times under Frost when you go for 500. And here's another one. Uh, sometimes it feels like we have these plays. There's a great example there where we actually bring the, the reverse pass out where Vedral getting his athleticism out there, catching a ball. But it doesn't break for the touchdown, right? It's a big play. It's a chunk play. But it still doesn't go all the way into the end zone. And this offense tends to, if it doesn't uh, get in the end zone quickly, find a way to to stop itself, right? Whether that's through a penalty or a turnover. And that's really frustrating for the offense. You only get 31 points over with 500 yards of offense. Yeah, I'm looking right now at the Kansas State-Oklahoma box score from last week. And K-State pulls the upset, scores 48 points. They had 426 yards of offense. In fact, it was exactly 213 passing, 213 rushing. But they had basically 100 less yards than what we've had. And that's not unique right now. We've had a number of games, to your point, Dave, where we've put up 500-plus yards. We did that a year ago against Purdue, the team we're going to be playing this week. We're not scoring the points that would usually come with the amount of yards that we're putting up. It's amazing how many games we've had with big yards and many turnovers, though. 
No, you yeah, know, it's it's like that seems well, unusual. It's, Dave, it's Dave's point. It's it's not having the big chunk plays or the big chunk scoring plays. So what you end up with is more plays, which are more opportunities for mistakes. And as we've seen, we can line up off the line of scrimmage on fourth and one and and get the first down, but then it doesn't count. <laughs> you know, we've had. A nice catch by Noah, but then the ball gets punched out. Yep. We have Vedro fumble it. And what about the effort for Vedro to turn around and run 70 yards to tackle, dude? I just got to give him that. No matter what, I got to give him that kind of credit. That was amazing to see him do. I, I always go back to the Illinois game that you and I went to, Mac. We had four more turnovers, which should be the death nail it, oh, you know, yeah. for any team. And yet we out-yarded them by almost 300 or 400 yards. And that should be the death nail for either team. And that's how you end up playing a game that – ends up being a field goal difference is because, yeah. you know, each. Yeah, we're 126th in the country in red zone scoring percentage. So if that just kind of puts into There's perspective. Your My yeah. goodness, that is just awful. Boomer, you know, we missed a field goal there as well. And it we was did. Noah's fumble, uh, Vedral's fumble, uh, to be clear, which Noah, you know, that was another opportunity where we probably would have had another field goal attempt. That's six points right there, right? I mean, we lost by seven. You know, what we're talking about here is um, yards per point, right? It's one of those still still stats where teams are that are most efficient don't have that many yards per point, uh, like K-State there, where we are just racking up. And that's not a sign of a, a, a team that's going to win a lot of games, right? No, that's exactly right. Just, you, you know, yards are great, but what it all comes down to, you got to score points. doesn't matter how you do it. And if you're just getting up yards, just putting up PlayStation numbers, that doesn't do you any good. And that's where earlier in the season, Boomer, right, we had turnovers. Yep. We had, you know, in, in, in a perfect world, more special teams plays, like a punt return like JD had earlier. Those type of things, you don't have any yards and you get points, right? That's what brings that number down. Yeah, We're just absolutely. not doing enough of that. And like you said, just our inability to be able to consistently kick field goals throughout the year, that's been a huge problem too, you know, when you're just getting down there and you can't even get three points out of it because you you either miss the field goal or you're just afraid to try it, so you don't, and you end up turning it over on fourth down or, you know, whatever mistakes happen. And that's going to, you know, really hurt those numbers, and we've seen that all year, and it reared its head again this this game. All right, guys, Honky, you want to add anything else on maybe wide receivers? Uh, We did actually see Mike Williams make a catch, but then he makes the mistake. Um, are you hoping to see some other guys out there in the field in the next four games? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I had that kind of circled as a position group here where we have four games left in the season. You have four games as a with the redshirt rule. We're getting down to that nitty-gritty time of the year. It's prime opportunity to start getting some extra guys on the field, whether that's Houston or if it's Chase or Nance or, or you know, even aside from those guys, how about someone like Ramir Johnson too that we've talked about here the last few weeks? These are opportunities. Let's get some young guys out there. I think we've got to manufacture some depth at some of these positions. It's part of the same thing with like talking about wanting to get Mills more runs at at running back. We've got to manufacture some depth other than just getting it to JD and and Wandell nonstop. Missouri was out there a little bit this last week. That was Mm -hmm. nice to see. A couple of real nice options that the uh, McCaffrey ran with him. But then last I heard was Missouri was – not in pads the other day at practice, and huh. you know he's been injured. It just—it's unbelievable the amount of injuries, to be honest. Yeah, there's, a, I mean, a, an immense amount of injuries, and I've heard maybe that's the case with some of these, um, you know, freshmen that we're hoping to see as well. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit from a depth perspective, Mac, in the sense that so we we've heard a lot from Frost. Uh, it was really kind of a little bit of a drama uh, going on here, right? We had the post game presser where we're talking about culture and, and effort and having the right attitude and bringing all those things to the table. And then Frost actually having kind of a one-on-one meeting with his team without the assistant coaches in there, trying to kind of rally the troops and making sure everybody's on the same page. I've learned a long time ago, I played for Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, and uh, one of your first rules is learn how to take a, a butt chewing. You know, as their coach, like I said, mission accomplishment is the number one job, along with taking care of my players personally and on the field. And there's, there's a time when they need their, their butt chewed. But that's what the meeting was about. That's not our character. That's not our staff's character. And I don't want a team where I have to do that. Uh, but if that's what it takes to get some of these things stopped, then we're going to have to yell a little bit in the short term. Most of the kids on our team, vast majority of our kids care and want to be great. If there comes a time where things aren't changing, then they, they need to get an earful. Sometimes, like, with these players that we're kind of hoping to see but we haven't seen yet, it feels like... The coaching staff doesn't quite trust some of them uh, out there. Wide receiver is a good example where 
We may want to see the playmaking ability of Jamie Nance or Darian Chase, but maybe they just don't trust their perimeter blocking or whatever, right? But it, at some point, you have to weigh the pro versus the con of getting some of these guys in there and see what they can do opposed to kind of being the steady Eddie, right? Yeah, the staff's reluctance to go past a certain point on the depth chart has always been a little surprising. Like, you know, Miles Jones, you know, he ended the transfer portal this week. But since that guy has been on campus, we have talked about getting Miles Jones on the field. And for whatever reason, he could never get to that certain point. But it's like, it's not just that position. Running back, we will go as low as (laughs) Missouri. Maybe Brody Bell, but like no way Ramir Johnson and no way uh Jelly Bradley. Yeah, Jalen Bradley. Like there's no way he can get on the field. Like there's that's just no possibility for that guy to come back. I mean McQuitty. Like I guess McQuitty cannot play. Mike Williams barely sees the field. Woodyard, where is that guy? Yeah, if you're Kurt Raftel at tight end right now, so it's like sticking around. So you know, when you get to these freshmen, who knows, man? It just seems like after a, a certain set of players there is a real stonewall to getting these guys on the field. And, and for no reason that I can think of. I mean, because it's not like our top-level guys are killing it out there. No one's dominating. Mac, but when they're really good, there's no issue, right? They weren't afraid to put Adrian Martinez in there in, uh, in Game 1. They're not afraid to put Wondell Robinson in. Yeah. So, like, a few guys, no problem. But there's others where you feel like, okay, maybe they're not quite as good as Wondell Robinson, but I've heard that a lot of people like Ramir Johnson could be as good. Yeah. Just a little I- bit behind in the development phase, can't see the field. Look at Maurice Washington. He showed up, what, a week before camp? He played last year quite a bit. You know, so it's like, you're right. If there's a, if, It seems like if there's a talent threshold, then you do see the field. So I don't know. Are we concerned with how we were, we've been recruiting wide receivers then? I mean, maybe that is a problem. Or, you know, these guys, maybe Ramir Johnson isn't quite as dynamic. Although I think with the running back position and the way we were stacked this year, that's a little unique. You know, if we knew Mo wasn't going to be available the whole year, I think we well, might have seen more Ramir. Th- it almost feels like Bo's first season in, in 08, Bo made such a point of he was going to redshirt guys. Even at the cost of if it was going to hurt the 08 season, he was going to redshirt him. And Frost almost talks about redshirting. Now, granted, we have four games to play with now, but he talks about keeping redshirts on guys. And we've mentioned that in the past where it's like, you know, back in 95, if you had Amon Green, you you just played him. I mean, a running back, you just played as a freshman. And we're really trying right now with guys like Ramir and Corral Buckhalter played as a freshman. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, right now we're the goal is to maintain that red shirt, obviously, with, with Ramirez. The goal is to maintain that with McCaffrey for obvious reasons. It's the that way with the receivers. That's just the way it is. Hickman at, at tight end. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And from a, a depth perspective, you know, if Ramirez Johnson really comes onto the scene next year as a red shirt freshman, for example, Maurice is now gone. You still have Mills, but you're, you're trying to – have Wandell be more of a true wide receiver, all those type of things, and Ramir becomes your top guy, and he explodes on the scene and has a starts to have great a great season, and and then he has another good season as a sophomore. When I'm running backs have short shelf life, especially in the NFL, so it's not like Ramir Johnson if he's actually really going to be good is going to want to hang around and be a fifth year senior. If he's a fifth year senior, he probably doesn't perform that well for us throughout his entire career. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Typically, you're exactly right. I mean, if you've got an elite level or just an NFL caliber running back on your team, they're they're about a three-year guy. Just because tread on the tires, you know, the, the position isn't uh, – it's not in quite the demand it was at once at one point in the NFL. So they, there is kind of that inkling to go early. And, and on top of that <laughs> – We've got guys coming up the pipeline that Sevian Morrison and Scott. I mean, those guys are having really good high. They're school never going to stop bringing in the next. So yeah, guy. so it just doesn't seem like, especially at that position where we recruited quite a bit of bodies. Uh, you know, Ronald Tompkins is still on the team. You know, who knows what that guy could turn into? So I don't. Yeah, why are we? If we're not going to play Bradley, if we're, if Missouri's not going to play more than just a little bit, if Brody Belt's not really getting time, why not get Ramirez out there? I mean, at least he's a legit speed guy. Like, there's no doubt about that, and we lack that on offense seemingly quite a bit. I mean, despite what we've heard, I don't see us taking the top off of defenses. It would be nice to see somebody like that, like him get out there and really perform. And like you said, Dave, it's not going to hurt us in the, long, in the long run. I mean, in three years from now, I, I just seriously doubt we're regretting that, burning that shirt on him. Yeah. And look, he's going to stay redshirt this year. We know that. But the point is there's four games left. And a lot of these guys have only played one or two games. So these are opportunities within these last four games. If the plan is the red term, by all means, keep with the plan. But when we do get to see them, 
I like to get them out there. I like to yeah, see not them just for, a carry, not just a, yeah. Let's but when you do choose to play him in a game, if it's this week at Purdue or something, let's play him. Yeah, let's, McCaffrey's game was so oh, satisfying. Was so fun to watch. You know, he got out there to get really like had some real time, some real film, like enough to get an eye of this kid and go. He'll work. He, he's definitely a quarterback, and Verduzco's obviously evaluated properly. That was fun to watch. You know, yeah. had he won that game, would have been really fun to watch. Yeah, you have to be excited about McCaffrey, right? I mean, he looks very much legit. You know, I think at at times we thought he was going to come in, he was going to be too thin, and uh, all those type of things. I mean, he he looks the part, played the part. Sure, he was definitely run first, but that's not surprising. And to Honky's point, he may always have a little bit more of a run first. Um, attitude even though i think uh when he has the full playbook in front of him he'll he'll be just fine it's great right i mean i think that's a real promising step i mean that was the audio of frost at the beginning of the segment and you know we can beat up a couple of other positions and and we have and that's fair i think but that quarterback spot my goodness what we've done in a year and then when you think next year when you add a logan smothers on top of that you know, I mean, holy smokes! Yeah, the, the talent in that room. Yeah, do you think out of those four, do they all finish their career here at Nebraska? Just fun pondering for the future. I'd say no. I'll say certainly Vedral, probably Martinez, just because he's in last. I feel like Smothers would probably be the first one to jump ship. Keeping the red shirt on McCaffrey is nice because it keeps him two years removed from Vedral and Martinez. But yeah, to your point there, Mac. I mean, how it's hard enough for me to predict what's going to happen next week against Purdue, let alone three years from now with Smothers and, and you know, McCaffrey after Vedral and Martinez have graduated. But, yeah, I mean, at some point you're going to have too many guys in a room that someone's going to leave. But yeah. I don't envision anyone leaving here in the next 12 months, let's say. It's time to throw the bones. Every kid in our program adores Coach Sinander. They all play hard for him. I don't think there's any doubt our players are playing harder right now than they did a year ago or however far you want to look back. I see more hats to ball. I see us tackling well. I see the effort. What's missing, like I said, is the attention to detail to do their job and get it done. You know, nobody had to tell Jason Peter that. Nobody had to tell Grant Wistrom that or Joel McAvick that. If they had a job, they were going to get it done. Again, it falls on us as coaches to make sure that happens and, and some of the responsibilities on the players when they have an opportunity to make a play, they got to get it done. Chins is the right guy to make sure that happens. All right, guys, we're talking uh, defense here, and it was a uh, not the best game to actually have the black shirts on as uh, Eric Janander's defense did uh, give up uh, a lot of yards and uh, 38 points, uh, some when it uh, hurt the most. You know, guys, I had a really weird dream last night, and I'm not the type of guy who actually remembers his dreams almost at, at all, so... Uh, when I do, it, it's a big deal. And I actually had a. This is a family very... podcast, Dave. So just keep that in mind. No, it, no, it's 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 one of the boringest dreams you could possibly have. I had an in-depth conversation with Indiana Athletic Director Fred Glass. You know, we've been you know trying to figure out why uh, Mr. Glass uh, said that uh, the Nebraska staff did not respect Indiana's program. And I think Boomer found uh, potentially the source as in Big Ten Media Days, Scott Frost was quoted as saying uh, something to the effect that, you know, we have to play Ohio State every year as our crossover. And uh, it'd be easier if it would be something like Indiana, which apparently was this great sign of disrespect. And so I had this in-depth conversation with with Fred Glass about like how that's just absurd in the sense of of, of taking offense to that. Because if this was basketball, if Indiana was playing a home and away against Tom Izzo's Spartans of Michigan State or or formerly Tim Miles' Nebraska Cornhuskers, you'd rather play Nebraska. You think you'd have a better shot of winning that. I wouldn't take offense to that if the Hoosiers thought that it was easier to play Nebraska in basketball than Michigan State. But apparently, uh, that's a big motivational factor for uh, the Indiana football program. And uh, we seem to get the best shot of virtually everyone. And uh, it makes me think of Ohio State this year with a team that's very similar in talent as last year but seem to be excelling at a much higher level. 
And some of that may be attention to detail. I think that's what Scott Frost is trying to get at. I thought guys played more aggressive. We worked on tackling a lot on defense over the bye week. I thought we tackled pretty well. Stopped the run well enough to win the game. We just have to be conscientious enough as coaches and players to make sure that whoever's on the field and has an assignment doesn't kind of do it. They, they get it done. And that's a little bit of what's keeping us from getting over the hump right now. Like the culture that we're talking about here is not like there's lack of complete buy-in from our players, but if you want to be really good, you have to do all the little things really well. And uh, right now, our defensive uh, side of the ball fails to do a lot of those little things uh, to allow us at least play at the highest level that their talent allows them to to do. And some of the things I saw out there is really frustrating. We don't get back to the quarterback. Uh, we can't seem to bring those those pressures that Eric Janander had so much success at UCF. Blitzing guys, our secondary, not finding the what was it, WAP. Yeah, WAP Filer. Yeah, WAP Filer. I have what, 16 catches, for goodness sakes, and we cannot seem to s- simply stop one guy. Uh, h- how can this defense seem to struggle so greatly in every game? I'm not sure what in the wide world of Troy Edwards was going on there to have that many catches, <laughs> that many yards. It was it was kind of nuts to watch. Nice reference. You know, we, we have to generate a pass rush. At the very start of something, I guess if you're going to have to hang your hat on something on offense, on defense you have to hang your hat on something too, and it starts up front. We've got to be able to generate a pass rush, and, and Coach Nander talked about that. We're going to put them in the best position we can to rush before. Um, but, you know, when they have five blockers, you got four rushers, somebody has to be able to win a one-on-one battle. Somebody's getting a one-on-one. More than one guys are getting a one-on-one. Somebody has to win a one-on-one battle. And so, you know, what's happening is, you know, if we're bringing three, four, or five guys and they're blocking it with five, you're going to get some one-on-one situations and somebody's got to beat somebody. And right now on the D-line, that just isn't happening. Now, we did stop their run game for the most part, but I think Boomer brought it up earlier. They didn't really try to. So you know, that wasn't a major part of their offensive game plan to begin with. So I guess the good news is we didn't give them something in that part. We made them one-dimensional, but their one dimension was more than enough to beat us. You know, Mac, the offensive coordinator for Indiana, he did some pretty interesting stuff. I mean, there was uh, some plays where he was just able to get guys open. I, I remember one in particular where – I think it might have been a third and long. He motions uh, Stevie Scott out right at the end, and he really is forcing someone like a Lamar Jackson to make a decision. Do I, you know, his responsibility is the far outside guy. Well, Stevie Scott became the far outside guy late in the play formation, and he has to make a decision to to follow Scott or the tight end. He follows Scott, tight end flashes wide open, and. Whoever else is supposed to probably move over just isn't seeing that quick enough. There's a lot of stuff there where Indiana's scheme just did a really good job of getting guys open. I think the the book is out on our defense right now. It's it's get us moving laterally, and you'll find your seams. And it and <clears throat> short of the defensive line, it seems to be pretty consistent. If it's if it's our corners and they have to make a choice late because of a shift, or if it's our linebackers and it's the same deal. We're leaving gaps in our defense. There's there's a lot of outcry about the defense this week. But, I mean, earlier in the season, it was the offense that wasn't performing, and the defense was performing. And that's just sort of the, the Jekyll and Hyde of this team. It's like everybody takes a turn not doing their end of it. So, I mean, just if the conversation trends towards, do we need to make some changes with, with coaches on the defensive side, or, or where do we need to look to improve? It's just too early in the process for me to kind of make those choices. It can't all just be scheme. At some point, you got to make some plays. I feel like there's been times that guys have been in position to make plays, and they don't. And I don't know how much I can put on the coordinator for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, hockey, in the first three games of the year, Chins's blitzing defense occasionally would get to the quarterback, and we'd get a negative play. And a lot of times, we'll, I, I was rewatch the game and see like Cam Taylor Britt or, or someone like that come in for a blitz, and he doesn't even come close to getting in. Did the I mean the film's out obviously. So what's the offense doing differently to, or is the quarterback just getting the ball out that much faster? He knows that the blitz is coming. Is it too easy to figure out? Yeah, it could be a disguising thing. That I mean, I think Shenander brought it up as easy as we have four or five guys coming, and they seem to pick it up. And it, the quarterback doesn't have to get rid of the ball that quick. Sometimes he has plenty of time to, you know, scour the defense. And, and we came into the season. Not knowing if we had a pass rusher on the team. And we know and, now. And, and at this point, we know, no, we don't. 
We don't have yeah. a we don't have a natural pass rusher on the team. We don't have anybody who can generate it on their own. That is a fact. The closest thing I think that we have would be Caleb Tanner. I think is somebody that can get in the backfield. Right. Um, he gets deep in the backfield, and, the, and he at least forced the quarterback a couple times last week to have to step up. Right. That's I guess something more than I saw from other guys. I love Garrett Nelson being out there. I think he's a he brings immediate motor to the spot. He, when he makes a mistake, he makes it a hundred miles an hour, and and he made several mistakes last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, nobody comes clean. At the very least, I can tell you that. And and I don't know that right now we're in position to where we can even scheme somebody clean. That's the crazy thing. Is yeah, that is crazy. And I was again. I mean, on the opposite side, our last offensive play, where it's fourth and and five or whatever that is, and Noah is trying to to make a play. There's an Indiana rusher, a linebacker who just comes free. 100% uh, mm-hmm. right up the gut. And uh, that just doesn't happen for us. And like to Max's point over and over again, everything is hard for us, yeah. right? <laughs> Nothing is easy. <laughs> that is just like, and at some point, dumb luck, you'd have someone blitz free, right? But we'll send a safety in or somebody, and somehow they pick yeah, it up. They, it's it's, just it's like, like we're playing with ankle weights on. And, and half the time, they didn't even have a running back back there blocking. A lot of times he could just you know, go out and, uh, you know, receiver set. And we still couldn't get pressure on them. That was kind of one of the amazing things I thought about that game. We just weren't able to really generate that. They didn't even have to have a guy back there to block. We knew they were throwing. Well, and so this is the <laughs> – here's your last four games of the of the season talk is this is where I'd like to see us start to get a few different bodies out there. And, and, and if nothing else, you start to get some kind of vision for what next year maybe looks like. Ty Robinson gets out there for a couple of snaps. Jakeen Green gets out there for a couple of snaps. Now, maybe they have absolutely no more success – than any of the other guys that we've had. But maybe they do. How about a guy like Snodgrass that you, nobody talks about yeah. right now? But that's an inside linebacker. That's an inside linebacker of the future. What about Jackson Hanna, man? Jackson Hanna. You know, there are plenty of guys. You know, when you're 4-4 four and four and you're not playing for division titles, it does start to actually free up your ability to do some things. And I think we've played tight at times in these first eight games. And then something goes bad, and now you're playing tighter. And then you're playing at home, and the crowd is you know, maybe starting to get a little antsy. And all these things, we play like a tight team. Those freshmen get out there, and I'll say one thing about Nelson. He's loose. He's the opposite of tight. McCaffrey went out there and played loose. You know, Wandell all season has played loose. They've played like they have nothing to lose out there because they're just freshmen playing. They're just young guys playing. And I guess if you know you're just going to get your four games and you're still going to redshirt, if you know that, maybe those are some guys that get out there and just let them play, let them loose, and just see what happens. I mean, to some extent, I hate to say it this way, but how could it be much worse at times? Yeah, to Max's point, we don't have a clear pass rusher. And, I mean, why not try some of these guys out and get them some real reps uh, going forward? Um, Mac, anything else on, on the defensive side that you want to talk about? Just to touch on kind of what we said about these last games, I'm a little surprised at this point in the season we haven't seen anybody in that secondary in terms of freshmen get out there. I mean, no Pola Gates, mm-hmm. Newsom, um, Farmer, those guys. One of them's uh, injured, though. Um, one of them's injured. and but Miles Farmer, I think, yeah. Well, look at some of those guys out there. There were some of our, our most touted guys coming in. Let's just see what they do out there. Uh, maybe they turn, or, turn their head around on a fade and they do pick something off. Hey, listen, we we got to start turning and playing the ball on fade routes. I can't tell you how much we work on that. I can't tell you how much we're coaching them to do it. We're we're not turning around finding the ball and making a play, and we're getting too many pass interference penalties. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing some crazy stuff out there yeah, right the, now. The coaches talked about You know, this. maybe we blitz somebody who's, you know, is just peeling his eye, his eyelids back to get to a quarterback. Let's just see. Cut it loose because <laughs> letting Patrick Ramsey beat you by having 13 seconds to throw is embarrassing. Hey, Boomer, uh, special teams-wise, defensively, you know, the Isaac Armstrong – this is another thing where we just like kick ourselves uh, all the time. A 19-yard punt gives them a short field. It's like uh, they're the Indiana got us was in in the I don't know eight-yard line twice, and our guy gets 19-yard punt. This is maddening, right? Yeah, and that's just another one of those things. I don't know if you want to call it attention to detail or is it just. I mean, do we have so many other worries on the on the coaching and practice side of things that we're just not spending any time on this in the in, in practices? It, it just you, you can't 
constantly be seeding field position. This has been kind of a broken record for us for years, you know, since we've been doing this podcast, how important things like field position and just setting up a good return, putting your offense up for success, so you don't have to drive so many freaking yards to try to score points again when you're getting the ball, you know, inside your 10-yard line every time they punt. And like I said, we punt from our, you know, 10-yard line and we kick to our 35, yeah, you're setting yourself up for a, a trouble in a game, and that's just another one of those pieces where you're just letting a team hang around or win games and, you know, have a chance to win. Uh, you know, it's college, you know, kicking isn't going to be quite what it is in the pros, but it's just these simple things that we should be able to do a little bit better and we just never seem to be able to do. Boomer, I think that's my, my point there in referencing Indiana, is that, you know, these punters are getting better and better at this at all levels, it seems like. And their guy was able to drop two balls inside the 10. Oh, and, and, and they were fielded well by their yes. team. They were down there. They were ready to grab it. They batted it from going in the end zone, and they, they did a great job at it. And we punt. And and this is costing us so many yards. It is beyond my comprehension. And it's not even just this staff. That's just been a problem for how many years now with us. It, we couldn't punt under Riley. We weren't great at it for it towards the end of Pelini's tenure. And I don't know what it is. It's just... Not since, like, Brett Maher was our punter at well, I have a question here from our, our Plowboys Barbecue and A, and this is from Tony Hayek on Twitter. And he goes, If Nebraska were to win out, but they were going to win in a sloppy manner and end the regular season eight and four, would you consider this season a success? And I'm talking, How in the hell did we not lose sloppy? Um, I'll start with myself simply saying, at this point, it would feel like a huge success, being that we're four and four. I guess if I think his point is, if you're looking at it holistically, coming into the season, you know, eight and four, we knew was we were kind of saying that's the basement of what the season needed to be to even be kind of considered that. That's what we were feeling two months ago. Right. So, Mac, I'll start with you. You know that this is the season of reassessment, but so so <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, knowing what I know about this team and knowing how this team competes on a week-in, week-out basis, yes, if we go 8-4 and four from this point on, this is a humongous success. This is the kind of turnaround that could give you the sort of positive momentum that will screw you up for the start of next year. And you'll start <laughs> predicting 12-0 and 0 and, and a Big Ten championship. So, yeah, uh, and I'm telling you right now, a bowl game and a win over Iowa right now, to me, is a pretty successful season. <laughs> at this point, we beat Iowa, we go to a bowl game, you're looking at a happy Mac, okay? That, that, I'm just going to leave it at that. Boomer, what about you? Oh, hell yeah, that's a successful <laughs> season. Again, reorienting where we are, if you're winning sloppy games, at this point, we're not playing for style points. You just want to win. I mean, we're not worried about are we going to position ourselves for the playoffs or anything like that. No, let's win the games. We're showing, okay, we're making mistakes, but we're not making as many as the other team is, and we're winning those games, and you're getting that bowl game which we think you know we all know is how crucial that is to building success for the next season you know getting that extra practice time getting players maybe having a chance to play it so i'm playing a bowl heck yeah that's a success i mean compared to where we're at i mean hell you have people projecting us to lose the last four i mean would you be happy if we're four and eight but we play it close and oh darn we had a shot at all four of those games hell no you want to win all those so <laughs> that's a good point so dave this is seemingly uh, uh uh you know unanimous here but i guess i want your thoughts on it as well yeah, I mean, I guess I, I question the I question the question in the sense of like it's very difficult to imagine how you could play so poorly to feel like you don't deserve to win and yet win all four games. You had would have have to have seen some positives, right? Sure, maybe we had a lot of turnovers and penalties and did did stupid things, but you had to have had some playmakers or something occur to to win those four games. Uh, I'd be challenged to. To imagine us uh, playing so poorly that I couldn't take some positives out of it. I mean, hell, I mean, Honky could put the scarlet colored glasses on better than anyone. So if he can, you know, still have those on today after these last couple of losses, I could imagine them after four close wins. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd be very happy with eight and four and going to a bowl to get a ninth win. Mm -hmm. Oof, that'd be amazing. Okay, Tony. So yeah, we'd be very happy. Yeah, with, yeah you actually <laughs> painted the uh, perfect scenario for the rest of the season. While I'm in the, uh, the, the mailbag here, uh, we had two other questions that came in that were kind of along the same line, something that happened today, uh, from Chris on Facebook and also from uh, Ulmer from Seatown from our Plowboys Barbecue Inbox. And it had to do with the NCAA ruling today, uh, allowing oh, players now to get 
paid for some of their endorsements, and I'm not even sure what all the ruling is on this yet. I'll start with Chris's question. He goes, can we keep college and professional sports separate, and why ruin a good thing? Uh, I'm going to start with you, Boomer, and I don't know how much you know about exactly what was proposed today or what the actual ruling changes are. Well, I mean, a lot of this kind of remains to be seen how these details are going to be worked out, but essentially what it's going to amount to is players are now going to be able to you know, get some sort of compensation for their likeness being used. You know, they can sell themselves, their name, things like that. As far as events go, you know, putting their names out there, sales, advertising, whatever it is. And I I think, you know, the Redcast, we've generally kind of softened on that over the years. And we talk about, oh, we need to keep pro and amateur separate. But let's be honest, this is a multi-billion dollar industry here at the college level. And the only people that aren't seeing a huge cut of that are the people who are actually generating the product on the field, which is kind of crazy. And I, th- I th- this was an inevitable change. And, you know, the California kind of called the NCAA's bluff on this. And this was something that was going to happen one way or the other, I think. So We always talk about Nebraska. Mac, you say don't be small. And we're not small. In fact, we're a blue blood. And whether we are winning like a blue blood, we are selling out games like blue bloods. And we are buying tickets like blue buds and all that. Merchandise. Like merchandise. Merchandise. How does Nebraska benefit maybe by this rule more than other programs that don't have that kind of support? Maybe a non-major market kind of deal. Yeah, and that's going to be one of those things where they're going to have to work out details on this. Are there going to be limits to this? How is it going to work? How are how does it apply to you know sports across the board? You know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that has to be figured out on this. It could potentially benefit a program like Nebraska um, if a player is going to look at what are their opportunities to generate some money on their likeness at the college level. I don't know how many people that's going to be the clincher for. I I would suspect for a lot of players. It's still going to be a secondary consideration for a lot of them, as most of them are probably looking to move on to the professional level. But, yeah, it certainly can't hurt if this is going to be a, an angle you take in the recruiting end that you can come to Nebraska and, hey, you can you know make a little money while you're here as opposed to, I don't know, let's just pick a team at random, say, Indiana, where you don't have the fan support and, <laughs> and aren't able to generate that kind of, that kind of interest and, How dare and support. How so. <laughs> well, but- don't offend our indiana fans they'll take it personally i'm gonna start a twitter yeah, so. typhoon to any of our bloomington listeners i apologize here but it is what it is there seems to be a lot of potential at least a school like nebraska could benefit greatly like this because players at nebraska would be highly desired by local media types that would be willing to pay for their likeness also this is one other thing just pure dollars and cents and dave i'm going to hand it over to you you live out there in Colorado. If, if some kid got paid X amount of money here, that's worth more than X amount of money maybe in a higher market that costs you know more to live. I mean, it's no different than paying coaches and so on. I mean, this is we're starting to get into money now. So, yeah, I think that's where uh, the the big thing was the, the caveat on the end of the statement was benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness in a manner consistent with the collegiate model. And what does that mean, right? Collegiant model. And so it uh, sounds like they've actually pushed this down the the, uh, the road a little bit to the three different divisions, and there's going to be a lot more to figure out on that. But I, I, I don't think it's going to be as much of the Wild West as, as maybe we kind of think here, right, in the sense that I, I don't know if they're going to allow a player to be the spokesperson for a car dealership or – um, a podcast or whatever it is, right? Um, there, I think they're thinking of it more in the context of, well, uh, like for example, you can make money, you know, doing things on the internet and all this different type of stuff from, from Instagram, et cetera, right? Uh, so, I mean, it, it could be a very different than what we're envisioning than a traditional revenue stream for some of the most popular players. It is an, a really tricky slope that the NCAA has to balance here because you think about this, it's not pay for, for play, but let's say, you know, someone thinking that he's going to get a sweet deal because he's going to sell cars for someplace in Lincoln and get an extra $100,000 a year because his image is going to be so well liked in the state of Nebraska. But then he has a poor year and suddenly he isn't as valued as much. Uh, does he lose the sponsorship? And I mean, there's tons of things here. I don't think they're going to go down that road. I think it's going to be 
far simpler and far more focused on individual revenue streams opposed to being a, a sponsor. Yeah, I wonder though sometimes though, Dave, like even if it was something as simple as you know, getting paid for your autograph, you know, what's stopping a booster from saying, well, I'll pay you $2,000 for your autograph, you know, because, you know, they have the money and that's something you can kind of guarantee. And to me, it's it's sort of like, well, this kind of stuff was probably happening. You know, this kind of stuff was probably – it probably existed within, you know, major college football and has for a while. So are we just shedding a little light on it and, and just saying it's okay? I'm actually all right with that because the pecking order is probably already sort of established with your major programs and what boosters will pay for what. And it just sort of it, – it stops the kids from getting either one maybe put in somebody's pocket that they didn't want to be because they accepted money at a time they shouldn't have, which I really like that part of it. Um, and the other side of it is, you know, the school doesn't get in trouble for stuff that everybody's doing. Well, Boomer, we already have Congress. We have members of Congress saying how they're going to start to tax it. Somebody was tweeting that today, weren't they? No, oh, yeah, it was that senator from uh, North Carolina, who's I think Barr, which is kind of amusing because yep. man, if there's a there's a school that has questionable <laughs> dealings with athletes and what they're doing at North Carolina is probably looking in your direction here at UNC. No offense, Dave. No, but, Duke. Uh, it's Duke, actually, they're looking at. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with Duke. Yeah, either way. But, I mean, come on, guys. Let's let's be realistic on this. Yeah, I think any concerns at this point, we've got to wait and see what shakes out on this. And to, to Max's point, I think there's been a lot of, you know, questionable dealings already. I think any transparency and sunlight you can bring into this whole process is probably a plus. You know, we can talk about concerns over, you know, what schools, you know, might benefit from this. Can they, could you generate more money or things like that? But is that really any different than a, you know, a scholarship to say like US, yeah, USC or Duke, which is, I mean, how many year you know, tens of thousands of dollars more is it to for a scholarship there than it is to nebraska for example i mean is that a huge benefit to go there well you could argue that i mean you know it's the same scholarship but they're getting you know x more money to go there so these things have all you know been issues in the past i think it can be worked out i'm glad to see the ncaa is i you know for a change i guess they're maybe doing something better i I don't know if they had much of a choice at this point but um their hand was kind of forced here so Let's see how this works out, and hopefully it'll work out for the best of the student-athlete for a change. So, To maybe finish this up, uh, we had a question from Omer from Seatown on our Plowboys Barbecue Inbox, and this is directed to Mac, and he said the new NCAA rule got him thinking about how uh, you might get your wish of having college football back on Xbox or PlayStation back in the future. Mm. And he goes, if, if Mac had a choice over the last 15 years, who would be his preference for the best Nebraska Husker football team uh, which year to play with and why? Oh, last, last 15 years. Hmm. Okay. I mean, 2009, you'd have the unbelievable defense, but yeah, the I mean, maddening offense. But you had the offense that was just... But your play calling could overcome that. I don't know if it could, so but that's too. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, just to play with on PlayStation, I'd want a mobile quarterback. So Zach Taylor's out. I want, I'd want a better defense. Give me Sue. Well, 2010 would give you Crick and David on yeah, defense that wouldn't be with bad. a young Martinez at quarterback. Mm. That that was the team that went to the with Big like, 12 title with game. With like 34 passing accuracy and 34. You, you would have had like 98 you, power. You would have had Halou and, and Burkhead on that Yeah, I take that. Team. That's a good team. That's a good team. 2010. All right. Excellent. Yeah, okay. 2010. Good question, Ohms. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. Yeah. That's a story for another time. But I remember a party at his place where I spent most of my night on Sega playing his uh, in t- his football game there. So <laughs> that was pretty cool, guys. <laughs> no ladies, I'm playing football. All right, guys. Uh, Hockey, can I add a uh, question to the Plowboys barbecue and a Yes. Mailbag? Go for it. Uh, the Great Pumpkin. Charlie Brown's Great Pumpkin was on uh, earlier this week. I think it's a good allegory to Nebraska football right now. And since that, uh, you know, uh, Linus uh, just had, you know, kind of that true faith that uh, uh, the great pumpkin is, was going to appear. Uh, sometimes Nebraska fans right now just need to have to have that, that strong sense of belief. If you were a, a Peanuts character, uh, would you be Linus right now? Would you be someone like Sally who is in the pumpkin patch but <laughs> is doubtful? Would you be Lucy who is completely cynical and giving up on the whole thing? Would you be Charlie Brown and getting rocks in your your trick or treat bag? Who who are uh, you? I'm I'm Linus every day. I've got the red blanket to to go with it, and I suck my thumb. <laughs> but, but please don't cut that. No, nah, that's Stan. But. 
look, I, on social media all the time, just tonight I was texting back and forth with a buddy of mine who coaches, and I, I hear too much from too many people about how this goes back to maybe the what started the whole defensive segment, Frost having to defend his defensive coordinator, and we feel like we're in we're in a little bit of defensive mode right now. We're we're defending ourselves. We're apologizing for yelling at our team essentially, you know, in team meetings. And I don't think any of that's necessary. Right now, it's a painful part of the process, but this is a part of the process and we're way too early and way too young in this this tenure of Frost for us to be overreacting, in my opinion, which I think it is what it is. He's flipping rosters. He is developing a strength and conditioning program. He is winning in-state battles for recruiting on kids. He's building up a walk-on program. Those are all the things that, that he's doing that are totally successful, and they're not all paying off yet on the field. Right. And some of that's maddening. We are stronger than we were two years ago. Why that's not proving itself victorious on the field yet, I don't know. But at some point, it's going to flip. If we're sitting here two years from now and it hasn't, I can have that conversation with you then. But right yep. now, too early. Mac, are you also Linus? I mean, yeah. I mean, shoot, Dave. When we had Mike Riley, I was convincing myself some more wins than we had any ability to. So I'm a ride <laughs> or die, dude. It's just, I'm I'm a Husker. So <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Well, we need more Linuses. So it's yeah, a good he'd be, he'd be all... sitting in the pumpkin patch with me. Linus never had Twitter, though. I will say that. I don't know how I don't know how he would have dealt with that. There's no amount of thumb sucking or blanket holding that can can like insulate you from the toxicity that is Twitter after a loss well, to Indiana. I'll tell you what, Dave, Boomer was not would not be sitting in the pumpkin patch with us. Boomer? Well, I I don't talk a lot and I'm pretty sure it's nineteen seventeen, so I'm quite obviously Snoopy <laughs> in this whole scenario. So I might pop up in the pumpkin patch occasionally. So I mean that's that's an obvious Baron Von Bloom. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I kind of get what you guys are saying on this, and I just, you know, just to bring in some conversation and bring in kind of an alternate viewpoint here, just to stir the pot a little, when we talk about, you know, making changes for coordinators, I'm not calling for anyone to be fired, but, you know, when people say, oh, you can't make changes at this point in the in the game, you know, we talked, you know, last week off the air a little bit, because um, we, we brought up Minnesota as being an example of a team that, we sadly kind of have to emulate at this point. You know, they're kind of one of our benchmarks for what you can do early on. P.J. Fleck did fire his D coordinator fairly early in his tenure and brought on a new individual and seems to have paid dividends on it, and other teams have as well. Something else I've seen pop up was people talk about how, you know, our current seniors have gone through all these different coaches and different coordinators, and that explains their their challenges. And it probably does to a degree. But I was kind of curious to compare it to a different school, and I, I looked at Oregon. And if you are a senior at Oregon right now for 2019, and let's say you were recruited in 2015, you're a redshirt freshman or a redshirt you know, player now, you have seen four different head coaches, four different offensive coordinators, and four different defensive coordinators, and they're potentially a playoff team at this point. I mean, is that... I mean, do you guys think that's just kind of a convenient excuse to say that, you know, we've had so much you know turnover on coaches and it's something you can't do, or is it something that just for some reason Oregon's capable of overcoming and we're not at this point or what's your explanation on that I guess might might be depends on the coaches right I mean and uh, we've gone through a lot so we're an example of all that uh, turnover probably not producing quality play before uh, Oregon, Oregon got to where they're at right now they they were struggling under Willie Taggart a little bit more so honky your thoughts Every school is different. Every school has a different strategy or kind of formula that works for them. We've talked about that. USC has a formula or Alabama has a formula that wouldn't necessarily work at Nebraska and vice versa. Uh, Nebraska, when Nebraska's been at, at its best, we've had consistency within the coaching ranks. For 40 years, we showed that between Devaney and Osborne and even Solitz there, we showed that consistency works here at Nebraska. And for 15 years, we didn't try that very well. We made a lot of changes. We fired guys that won nine games. We, we, we made bad hires after we would fire guys. What I know is right now, two years ago, we made a really good hire. I, and I've never wavered on that. And who that guy chose to bring along with him, I didn't know any of those guys for the most part, other than Barrett Rudin and Austin and, and Ryan Held. I didn't really know the rest of them. But they were Frost guys. Now, Boomer, to your point about the Minnesota, I've, I've heard it too with Clemson when Clemson brought in uh, Venables, you know, I mean, they, they made changes and, and that's what, that's what worked for them. If coach Frost feels that is the need and he makes that change, 
more power to him. I'll support him 100% whatever choice he makes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I think he's going to do that? Absolutely not. I mean, that seems about the last thing I would imagine him doing. And the one thing that I definitely appreciate about the situation that we're in right now, which differs from a few years ago, is that we have a head coach who's in charge of the program. Because a lot of times when changes at, at coordinator spots and things like that happen, it's when ADs get involved. And all of a sudden, Diaco becomes your, your defensive mm-hmm. coordinator, and you're having to call Mark Banker in an airport somewhere in Denver to tell him that he's gone. That's not going to happen right now. If any change is going to happen, it would be because Frost – was the one making that change. And, again, I don't have any reason to believe that he's going to be doing anything like that right now. So I, I'm, right, I'm riding and dying with this, with this staff. I think that they are on the right path. They're doing the right things. It's just taking some time. But they're making a lot of progress. And now, Nebraska ball. All right, uh, I hear Mac laughing in the background as he walks away as I bring up Nebraska ball. So we uh, had an exhibition, Wichita State. We lost by 14, but hey, it was a uh, closed-door scrimmage anyway. Boomer, do we play Doan? Is that right? Correct, yes. We, we've got Doan coming up here to come. I of. have two Doan alumni on this show. We could really be talking about Doan sports quite a bit here, right? I mean, Boomer and Hockey both have graduate degrees from from the Doan Tigers. We do, yeah. If, the, if this Cornhusker thing goes south, it'll be the Go Big Striped cast before too long, so we're, we're here for it. So. Yeah, house divided. So we'll get to see, a, or at least hear, some of Fred Horberg's uh, crew, and then next week we actually kick it off for real. You know, Honky, uh, I had a chance to watch a little bit of the BTN uh, trip to Italy, which is it's amazing a recruiting tool. I mean, there's... Three 30-minute episodes. Uh, you have the team in Italy. They follow them from the flight over to the flight back. And it ha- it's just a great recruiting tool in the sense you get to really see Fred Hoiberg interact with the players. You get to hear Doc Sadler talk. Uh, all these players are getting tons of screen time. Uh, I know more about these guys now than I did uh, 24 hours ago because I'm literally watching it and I'm, I'm learning about Deshaun Burke and uh, Hanif Cheatham, Derek Walker, uh, all these guys. Uh, Thor has a nice thing with his family there. Uh, and, I mean, it was beautifully shot. BTN does, does a great job on those documentaries. Did you have a chance to watch some of it yet? Yeah, I was watching. I binge-watched all three of them last night. And <laughs> it's great. I mean, exactly to your point there, Dave, if there's ever a team that needed a trip like this because – they didn't know each other. It was this team. And if there's ever a fan base that needed a show like this, because they don't know anybody on the team, it's this fan base. I mean, I, I didn't know many of these guys. And, and what's really cool is, like, I love how Doc Sadler and Hoiberg kind of work with each other, the, the staff. I mean, the, even the Boomer, who's the director of operations guy? Uh, it's uh, Luca Virgilio. He had a cameo in The Godfather, if you remember. <laughs> He's from Italy. The first game that we played – in Rome is at a location that he used to work at several years ago before he got into came over to the state. So I mean, you know, talk about kind of three sixty kind of situation for him. The first game that that we were there, he talked about how it was weird for him to be sitting on the other sideline, being the opposing team there in Rome, and and they go to his mother's house and she's cooking lasagna. It's it's just a really cool. Show to watch, number one. And to your point, Dave, I think what a good uh, recruiting tool that is for for Hoiberg. Yeah. You know, the humor that some of those guys brought to the table. Gervais Green's a funny guy. Yeah. I mean, uh, and you also learn some things, too. Cross, the kid from uh, Arkansas, already, and that was back in August, uh, looks thinner, more fit, more prepared to uh, play a role. So, and we didn't see, you don't see other guys like uh, Cam Mack, who missed the trip. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Ivan Oya Drago, uh, who was playing um, for uh, France in the under-17 or under-18 championships. So there's a lot of extra uh, talent that was kind of missed there. But still, re- really good to watch. Also, Delano Blanton looks like he's going to he's gonna sit out a year, but that guy is going to be a big-time player next year for us. Yep. Uh, right Transfer away. from Western Kentucky. The two yep. guys you mentioned there, Ivan and Mack, those are two guys that we just played against Wichita State. And Mac uh, Hoiberg went down his stat line at, at point guard and, and was very pleased with the production that he got out of Mac. And he is as fast as any point guard he said he's ever coached, pretty much. And then Ivan 
is a guy that we didn't see him on the show, but he is going to be so crucial because we don't have big-bodied guys like him on the team. And when we went and played against Wichita State in this exhibition practice thing the other day and lost, I think by about 15 points, Hoiberg talked about how this was such a good preparation for what we're going to see in the Big Ten. Like that, The way that their front court is built, it's built like a Big Ten front court that we're going to be seeing. Yeah, that's right. Wichita State probably is an NCAA team, uh, tourney team potentially. They were uh, went deep in the NIT last year. Obviously, Greg Marshall knows how to coach, and I think they have seven of the top nine scores back. So um, a, a decent team they played there uh, with uh, some quality players. So, all right, good stuff, guys. Are you ready for parting shots? Let's do it. All right, hey, Boomer, let's start with you. And by the way, why don't you throw in a uh, game prediction at the same time? Well, parting shot, I guess, would be a game prediction. This is kind of another one of those odd games to predict. I mean, stat-wise, I think, again, we're going to have to go with stats here. And Nebraska does statistically stack up better than Purdue in most cases. You know, They're fairly similar in a lot of aspects, but... A lot of injuries in both teams, although strangely, you know, this might be conveniently time Rondell Moore comes back for Purdue, which is worrisome a little bit. But generally speaking, the stats are in Nebraska's favor on this, so I'm feeling remotely confident on this. So I think we can pull this off. We can score more than Purdue, I think. So let's go Nebraska 28, Purdue 17 in this game. So I like that. Excellent. Mac, what do you got? Um, I'd just like to wish all the Redcasters out there a happy Halloween. Um, they should send us some pictures on Twitter of your of your best costumes, uh, the frost-related ones anyway. No gray pants pictures, thank you. Um, as far as the game goes, um, I'm fairly confident with my prediction that I seem to go with every week. 31-21 Huskers, not small. Hmm. <laughs> all right, good stuff. Honky, who do you got? For my parting shot, I'll say that uh, officially, all of our preseason predictions are now ruined. I know. Mac, the two back-to-back losses. Ma- Mac, Mac had the last one, I think, that was still available. He said that we wouldn't lose back-to-back losses yep. this season, and that just happened. Of course, I said we were going to go 12-0, uh, so you know that was ruined in the second week. We could still win like <laughs> eight or nine games, though, I think. Didn't some of us predict that, technically? I, nine is still out there, I guess, technically speaking. Yeah. I like you guys. Anyways, I'm not small either, but uh, I've predicted some small scores. I've predicted us several times to win 3-2. to two. That worked for us against Northwestern. That didn't work for us last week. So I'm going to go the opposite. I think this is a, a game where we could see some offense and we can see some points. Uh, Nebraska 82, Purdue 75. 82-75. <laughs> that sounds like a good basketball score. All right, that's that's probably where I'm going too, Honk. You know, uh, if Rondell Moore is back, they also um, Purdue's got some other talented receivers who are kind of hit and miss. Uh, David Bell, this guy that uh, almost had 200 yards versus Iowa, uh, only had 18 last uh, week against Illinois. So one of those things where um, it's going to be interesting to see how our defense can match up, especially secondary against uh, the receivers, and then can Purdue's quarterback, whoever it is, um, actually, you know get the ball to those receivers, which I think is is the problem they have right now in that offense. But, yeah, if anything, Frost should be looking for revenge against a Jay Plummer, so there's that. Yeah, it's a good, good point. Whether whether that's Jake the Snake's kid or not, uh, Scott should just think of it as a, as a revenge game of some sort. I completely agree. I'm going to go uh, Nebraska 35, Purdue 31. I think our offense will continue to roll probably put up another 500 yards and hopefully hold Purdue to just enough to, to win the game. Uh, all right, guys. Well, it's an early kickoff. It's a big noon kickoff, actually, um, or 10 a.m. for me in the mountain time zone. But uh, hopefully we see a victory early on Saturday and we can enjoy the rest of uh, college football after that. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Beat the Boilermakers.